Well, good morning. I just wanted to get something off my chest really quick as we, we start here. Um, I don't know if any of you has faced this. I just want to get this out in the open, call the elephant in the room before we get started. Otherwise, you're, you're staring at me the whole time. And ever like uh, try and wash and dry something really quick? Yeah, I, I know. So I got this shirt and I was like, I got to wash it. So I washed it last night and figured, oh, I'll throw it in the washer last night. I put it in the dryer up before I went to bed, but then somehow like the dryer didn't keep running. So I wake up this morning and I pull it out and uh, it's not, it's like half dried. I'm like, well, I got to go to church. Got to put a half dried shirt on. So that's why I'm a little wrinkly. So just keep that in mind. All right. Just want to get that out in the open. Hey, we all try and fail sometimes. All right. Trying to put my Sunday bests on and sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. But uh, glad you're all here this morning. Uh, we just got out of a st- series called Restart. What a great series that was. You know, I, anyone uh, take any of those challenges, any one of the three challenges, like just any one, two, three, that's awesome. I, I think it's so great that we all collectively come together as a church family and enter into things like that. I know each week that uh, we went through was really challenging for me. And uh, so it's, it's so great that we all get to come together and do that, and hopefully it was as challenging for you as it was for me, each one. And uh, it's it's just a really great thing that we all come together as a church family and do that. And so we're kind of moving out of this series restart. That's a little bit focused on some things that we deal with, you know, uh, our health and our finances, things like that. And we're going in this series where first uh, in First John, where John points us back. To Jesus, and, he, and John says, you know, everything, it all points back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So we're going to go from restart, focusing on some things, all the way back to it's all about Jesus. And so we're going to take a study through the book of 1 John together as a church family and see what God highlights in our own lives through that as well. So the book of 1 John was written around 85 to 100 AD. So this was after Jesus had died by the Apostle John. And this was most likely written in his later years in life. So John was so full of wisdom and knowledge. And so it's really good, good stuff. And John was a key principal leader in the church at that time. Uh, John was a disciple of Jesus, walked with him. He saw him. He touched him. You know, everything. John knew Jesus, and Jesus dearly loved John. And so John writes this book, this letter, to the churches in Asia Minor, in the Ephesus area, uh, because he was over some of that, those churches there. So he writes that, and he writes this letter, and he gives it to them. And John specifically wrote this letter to all the Christians in the church in Ephesus, all the churches in Ephesus. And he wrote this letter because there was some like heresy that cropped up in the church. And so there was some people, some false prophets, some false teachings, uh, some things that were taking place that was kind of no bueno. And so John writes this letter to them because there was some people who was trying to take other Christians out of the faith saying, hey, come follow this, these new teachings. Some of these uh, heresies and teachings that were coming up in the church were centered around things that diminished what Jesus had done for us on the cross and our sin uh, and his love. Uh, some of these heresies uh, from false prophets, uh, they, they taught that maybe Jesus never really existed. Uh, they thought that they had 
this like higher, superior knowledge of theology through new teaching, and that the original state of Christianity was kind of, you know, it really wasn't all the way there. So John writes this letter. This is the key reason John writes this letter to the Christians in those churches to say, hey, here's what it's all about. And it's all about Jesus. Let me talk to you all about Jesus. You know, this is so very applicable today. Now, how many false prophets have cropped up in the last 100 or 200 years that uh, uh, Western civilization has been taking place? There's been a lot of false prophets, false teachings, people leaving the church to go after new, higher, superior theology. And that, you know, a lot of them, Christian Americans think that we got the Christian life figured out. We got it. You know, we, we got our Bible knowledge and all that kind of stuff. So this is very applicable today. I think John would write a very similar letter today to the churches, except he'd probably just like post it on Facebook or like tweet it, you know, something like that. He probably wouldn't even use an email at this point. He'd be like Facebook and tweeting Instagram and all his stuff. But very similar. He would probably write this letter very similar how it is in the Bible, to the church today. And so let's dive in together and see what John wants to tell our church family. So John starts his book out by saying, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We have seen him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This is the one who is life itself, was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. John is writing this letter, and, I, and I, I, there's probably some kind of like holy discontent going on in his soul where he's just urging people, he's proclaiming, he's got this news to tell, proclaiming this news, saying, I have seen him, I have touched him, I have heard him. For all you naysayers out there that says, hey, he didn't exist, or he didn't die for us, or any of that, he's saying, I've seen him, I have touched him, I've heard him, I have been with him. Who is this? This guy that can radically change our lives. He says, it is Jesus. Everything we do is all about Jesus. I'm writing these things for you, John says. I'm writing these things for all the Christians, all the naysayers out there too, that it's all about Jesus. This is the gospel. What, what, what John is proclaiming and is he's proclaiming the gospel. The gospel is kind of, a, I guess, an old school term for uh, what we call the, the good news. Good news. John's proclaiming news to people. So what is this story, this message that Jesus came to bring, that Jesus was embodying, that John then wrote urging us to listen to? What is this good news? You know, it's really important that we consistently, as a church community and a community around Spokane and worldwide, no matter what stage you are in your spiritual journey, no matter who Jesus is to you, it's really important that we continually put this on the table and unpack it and all its beautiful detail that the gospel is. Don't ever allow the gospel to become old news in your life. Anyone know that you can take something good for granted? Anyone? Yeah? Been there, done that? 
And, you know, it's very easy to take something good and make it old. It can be like, you know, I've heard that before. I've heard that before. I don't know. You know, we've been there. We've done that. And instead of taking, letting the gospel take your breath away on a daily or weekly basis, whatever it may be, it kind of creates this kind of like ho-hum spirit, like, you know, we've been there, we've done that. We must always be deeply astonished at this great and wonderful story that not only did Jesus come to bring, but he invites us into the middle of right now. So what is this good news then? Jesus is the good news. John writes, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Have you ever had good news to tell someone? And never had like this really great news to tell? I know Chantel and I, when Chantel was pregnant and uh, we were, it was leading up to the our planned induction at the hospital, and the day finally came, you know, and you're kind of freaking out. It's your first baby. You're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And uh, so we're driving to the hospital, and it's nothing like the movies, whether it's just like, go, you know, you're just like driving. It's really not, you're just kind of like driving there like, are we about to do this? It's like, yeah. Like, this is not what I thought it was going to be like. So we're driving, we're kind of nervous and afraid, and then you get to the hospital and you're there, and then there's this, you know, deep, intense struggle and pain and, you know, all, all the things that come with birth. It's just really difficult. And then finally, the baby comes. Grant was born. Our baby was born. And what do we do? What's like the first thing we want to do after, you know, like we hug him and squeeze him? But what's the first thing we want to do? Do we want to just like stay locked in that room and go like, no one come in. No one can see us. No, it was like, we wanted, we had this good news to tell, right? So I go out to the waiting room and I'm like, he's born. He's here. And he's beautiful, right? He doesn't look like an alien. <laughs> it's perfect. I go out and then, you know, right from there, then the nurses are like, all right, let's go ring the bell at the hospital. So then we go down and we ring the bell. It's like, bing, bing, you know, for the whole hospital to hear that a baby has been born. It's really good news. And then we ring the bell. We go back, you know, to our other room and we're chilling there. And then what do we want to do? The family's in. We're telling them the, whole, the story or whatever. And, and then you get your phone out and you start, you know, texting people, taking pictures. You're putting it on Facebook. You're, you're putting it on Twitter. You want to tell the whole world this good news that just happened, right? Moms are like, yeah, been there. It's awesome. Yeah, you have this good news that you want to tell. And there's something even better than the greatest news that we can come up with, that we just want to tell people and urge them and and say, come check my beautiful son out. He's going to be the next model of the U.S. There's something even better than that, that John is trying to urge his believers to to get their minds wrapped around and and all the the Christians and all the, the naysayers and all these people, he's urging them that there's this even better news and the greatest thing that we can come up with, and that is the gospel, the good news. Romans tells us that the gospel is powerful. This is why we must always have the gospel ever present in our, in our minds, in our hearts, and on our lips, because it is powerful. In fact, it is the most powerful force in our world today. It has the power of salvation. It has the power to bring death to life and darkness into light. The gospel is powerful. 
Here's what Romans 1.16 says. It says, For I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. There is power in the gospel. And this is why we must always have it ever present in our minds and in our hearts. So this conversation about the gospel, it starts first with an observation. An observation about humanity. A people asking questions about their creator all the way from beginning of time. And as you search the pages of history and dabble in archaeology, as humanity, all around the world, we're really all not that different. We've all been asking this question of God, what is he like? Can I get to know him? Does he want to know me? As you study history, you'll see people asking this question, and whether they gather in groups or they gathered in caves or they built things and statues to bow down before, they built temples or mosques or high places. We, as a people, the story of humanity and history is consistent. We've always asked this question, as the created, how do I get to know the creator? Even in this day, in 21st century America, and as enlightened as we are, and as liberal as we are, and as progressive as we are, still around four out of five Americans walking down the road still believe that there is a creator out there, a God out there. The average person walking down the street in the depths of their soul still asks that question. I wonder what it takes to connect with him. So with these questions through history, we have formulated religions and we formulated ideologies and philosophies to unpackage this question. How do we connect with God? And as you study history and philosophy and study world religions and other continents, how do we connect with God? By and large, we have all come up with the same exact answer. We've all come up with that same answer. Answer, how do we connect with God? Have you ever heard this before? Uh, maybe like at college or friends or family. I used to hear this at college all the time. And I have some family that, that adheres to this. That, that uh, all religion is effectively the same. That it's, it's just different paths leading to the same God. Or it's varying truths revealing the same creator or God. Have you ever heard that before? You know, there's a lot of people who really think that we're all just on this adventure together and that one day we'll all end up at the same place. I don't know if anyone's ever heard that before, but I, I've heard it all the time. And you know what? There's actually some really good merit to this statement. By and large, every world religion is effectively the same, except for Jesus, except for Christianity. For Jesus stands apart, and Jesus stands alone. Every world religion is effectively the same, except for Jesus. That is why every world religion says, yes, you were created to connect with God. Our purpose, our meaning, our joy, our peace is all wrapped up in this relationship with God. But this is what the world says. If you want to connect with God, you can. You can do so. But it's by your efforts, 
and your energy and your endeavors. God is in heaven. You are on earth. And you can connect with him. But you must climb your way to him. You must climb a ladder, so to say. Right? That you can connect with God. And all your meaning and hope is wrapped up and found in him. But you must climb your way to him. Every world religion is based on this simple principle. So, there are about one billion people on earth today that believe that the the way that they connect with God is that through sacrifice and service. And so they must wake up every morning and pray. And then five times a day, you pointed towards a certain hill, you must pray some more. And then there's these fasts and there's these feasts. And that maybe one day it would come where you could give your life for a holy cause that then maybe God would be pleased with you and you could be connected with Him. There's about one billion people on earth that believe that. But at the height of this philosophy is what? It's by your effort, your energy, and your endeavor to do so. Still, there are another billion people on earth today that don't believe it's through service or self-sacrifice, but it's through meditation. And, and it's through the emptying of yourself. And, and through the emptying of, your, of all the earthly desires that we get wrapped up in. So you, they, they must wake up every day and meditate and empty yourself of that and find your, your Bodhi tree and you continue to climb and, and, and as you meditate and maybe as you hum enough that soon you'll keep climbing and as you empty yourself and empty yourself that one day you'll be able to embrace this glorious creator and be in a nirvana, so to say. But still, at the heart of this philosophy is what? You can connect with God but it's through your effort, your energy, and your endeavor to do so. Then there are still another billion people on this world that don't believe it's through sacrifice or service or meditation, but it's just by doing good things. And so if you can do enough good things and string enough good lives together, then you'll be able to be with God. So... You wake up in this life and you, you try and, and do good things. You, you don't cheat on tests. You, you don't cheat on your wife or your husband. And you try and be a good father and you pay your taxes and, and you try and be a good mother and all these things. And so then in this next life, but then in this next life you fail and you kind of stumble. And so you have to come back in your next life as a lower life form. Like a cat. And then here you are on earth trying to live a good life as a cat. You know, how how does a cat live a good life? What is a good cat? A dead cat. So then you live this good life as a cat and you come back as a, as a, a new life form and you string all these lives together doing all these good things. And one day then... You're able to not only be with God, but be a God. But still, at the heart of this, is it's what? It's by your effort, your energy, and your endeavor to do so. 
little closer to home, you know, there's millions of people all over the U.S. that believe, yes, I want to follow Jesus. But it's not exactly how you do it. it you know, there's, there's added gospels to it. That, and there, there's this new, new testaments. And, and so, you know, I, I must wake up and do good things and pray. And I, and I have to uh, follow the word of wisdom and be baptized. And if I tithe enough, and if I continue to do good works, and then if I'm temple worthy... And then if I get sealed in the temple, and if I continue to do all these good things, maybe one day I'll be in celestial glory. And not only will I be able to be with God, but have my own planet and I'll be a God. But what? At the fabric of this, the heart of this is what? Yes, you're saved by grace after all you can do. So it's by your effort your energy, your endeavor to do so. And I'm looking at some of you way up here. It's kind of cool, actually. I'm looking at some of you way up here, and you're like, thank you, Nathan. I appreciate the wonderful lesson this morning. It's really great that you have uh, brought your cool ladder out here. And, you know, thanks for the lesson, for this educational morning. You know, I, I even have some friends of these religions you're talking about right now. And it's really good that you've said on this, but this really doesn't apply to us here. Because, you know, we're, we're all American, and most of us are all Christians in America. You're, you're talking about foreign religions, and, but we're the, hand, the, the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? We are one nation under God, and in God we trust. And any time anyone starts anything in the world, it doesn't matter because we're back-to-back World War champions, It doesn't matter. We're America. God is on our side. If the aliens show up, we'll send them Will Smith. If an asteroid is going to come and hit the world, we'll send Bruce Willis and he's going to drill a hole. If Loki shows up, we're going to gather all the, the American forces around the Avengers to protect us because God is on our side. We all believe. Thank you very much for this doesn't really apply to us. But can I propose to you that many Christians, Christian in America, honestly believe the way you connect with God, the way you find your peace, your hope, your purpose, is by climbing your way to Him. That it's, it's through showing up to church, and it's showing up to your small group, and it's, it's praying every day. And if you look a little bit more constipated during worship, God loves you more. So you do all these things to connect with God. So then all people find ourselves perched on top of this ladder and we have a problem, right? Because through all your effort and your energy and your endeavor to to connect with God, we still find ourselves at the height of our ladder still reaching out for God. Because our best works isn't good enough for God. The Bible says that our best is like filthy rags in the sight of a holy and perfect God. And this is just a story of frustration climbing the ladder because for every one good thing that we do, there's two bad things that follows. And so it's a story of deep frustration. So we find ourselves reaching out for God, 
But our ladder only takes us so far. All your energy, all your efforts, it only takes you so far. And it ends. So we have a problem. But then, then Jesus shows up. We have this problem and Jesus shows up. Jesus says in John 14, 6, and one of the most bold statements that he makes, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because all of history and all of the world has said, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. If you want to get to God, do so. Because you're the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus shows up and he says, that's all wrong. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. All of history had said, you're the way. It's your effort. But Jesus, he climbs down to us. So we don't have to climb a ladder to him. This is the good news right here. That through all the effort and energy that people have put out, God says, you know what? I'm going to send my son to climb down to us. So we don't have to climb to him. We are not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the good news. This is really good news, people. The good news is that Jesus climbed down to us and he died and he paid a price for our sin, our filthy rags. And as much effort as we've tried, he still paid for our filthy rags so we could be in relationship with a God who desperately wants to be in a relationship with us. For some of you, maybe you've, you've never even really heard the gospel, and this is kind of all new to you. Some of you, you have been climbing this church ladder for so long that you've missed the gospel as you have been in the process. Some of you have been climbing the ladder, you do so or whatever, because you're afraid that maybe family's going to look at you weird, or, or you've been climbing because you're afraid that God... If you don't do all those things, something bad is going to happen because God is out to punish you. All this kind of reminds me of a story I heard about this guy named Soichi Yokoi. He was a Japanese soldier. We got a picture of him up here. He was a Japanese soldier in World War II. And he was stationed in the base of Guam. And when the Allied forces came and took over Guam, all these soldiers, or many of them, ran into the jungle and hid, fearing captivity and um, imprisonment and torture. And so that's what Soichi did. He ran to the jungle and he hid in a cave. He was afraid. And then when the war had ended, American planes flew over and dropped papers everywhere, telling, in case there was anyone like Soichi still in the jungle, so that they could see that and read that the war's over and get out. And so Soichi, he got that paper. What do you think he thought when he saw that paper? He thought it was a lie. Someone said that. He thought it was a lie. He thought it was American propaganda, right? They just want me to come out of my cave so then they can capture me and imprison me and torture me. And so what did Soichi do? He disregarded that paper. And he lived in that cave for 28 years. And he only came out at night in the cover of darkness. He lived in there. He survived off of bugs, rats, and mangoes for 28 years. 
until in the, in the 60s, some hunters, they found his cave and they convinced him to come out and that the war was actually over. And so he finally came out and Soichi finally went home. Our spirit can be much like that. There, there are people here hiding in their spiritual caves. This good news that you're talking about, it's just all Christian propaganda. Trying to get me to do something, be somebody, let go of the life that I want to live. It's just Christian propaganda. And when actually, this is the very thing that will set you free. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He died for you. He wants to know you. Others have been climbing these ladders for so long and through this story of frustration and through all the hurts and all the pain and all all the unmet expectations and circumstances that were out of your control, you gave up. Because this couldn't have been the right answer. And through the hurt, you gave up and you went into your cave. You can't shed light on your problems, your sin. You've been hurt too many times to come out And yeah, you're saying this again, but it's just Christian propaganda trying to get me, to get me out. And I want to tell all of you that God dearly loves you. And it's time to come out of the cave. This is really good news. Jesus has won the battle. Jesus has won the war. He fought our fight for us in the war. We don't have to climb ladders anymore. We don't have to hide in a cave anymore because Jesus has already fought and won for us. He died so that we could live. Come out of the cave, my friend, if that's you. Let Jesus make you whole. Let him heal you. You know, life can really hurt, but God heals. The war is over and it's time to come out. Jesus is the good news. He died for us. And our response can only be repentance. John says this in 1 John, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Repentance is this ongoing relationship with Jesus and all throughout our life in this submissive stance towards a God who saved us and loved us. Not a, this stance that says, i got to continue to climb and prove to you that I love you and I know you love me. No, repentance is this ongoing, submissive stance, walking through life with Jesus. Because he died this gruesome death on, on a Roman cross and he, he took our sin. And he, it was nailed to that cross with Jesus. Even though we deserve a penalty of spiritual death. He gives us life. And we must respond to this. Not react. Reaction is kind of like a knee-jerk thing. Kind of like the end of the Seahawks game last week when Richard Sherman made that play and the uh, 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 news reporter was like, Richard, take me through that play. And he was like, ah! You know, just like freaked out on her, right? That's called a reaction. A knee-jerk thing. Not a response. A response is something that you think through. 
It's in your heart. You've taken time. More than five seconds. You've taken time to think through that. And we want a response to the cross. The cross demands a response from all people. Not just American Christians or not just Christians. All people. The cross demands a response. And in the words of Billy Graham, he says that this can be really tough because the cross is offensive offensive because it directly confronts the evil in your life. And that the only way to salvation isn't through climbing a ladder, but it demands a response. It doesn't just suggest one. It demands a response because salvation is found through the cross of Christ. John writes, we're writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. John is urging us as a people to respond to the cross. Not react, but respond. What will your response be? Let me ask you, friend, if this is you, and you've been climbing that ladder for a long time, you've been trying Friend, if this was you and you were in a, you've been locked in that cave through hurt, maybe you're just that person that's just been on the fence and you've been coming to church forever. You don't know which way to fall. Let me ask you, friend, to respond to the cross today because Jesus loves you. It's time to come out of the cave. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I, I thank you so much, Lord, for who you are and what you've done in our life. God, you truly are amazing. God, forgive me for all the times that I've fallen short and felt like I could just get to you by climbing my way. Or... Forgive me of that, Lord. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to climb down to me. Love me and die for me, that I might be in relationship with you. Thank you for that, Lord. If you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you feel like the Lord is tugging on your heart, it's time to come out of that cave. I want to give you an opportunity right now to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to fully share in the joy that John was talking about. If that's you, would you just pray this prayer with me? Simple prayer of faith. Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. I believe... In you, Jesus. I put my faith in you. Come into my heart. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. If you just prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand so I can just acknowledge you that you prayed that? Thank you. Good. 
Thank you. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for these people, Lord. I know you're throwing a party in heaven right now for each one of those souls. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace. I just want to lift up and pray for all the people who've been climbing that ladder of religion for so long that feel hurt, that want some freedom from that. God, would you reveal yourself to those people right now? God, you know the hurt. God, you know the pain. You know the story of frustration that they had been walking through, climbing that ladder of religiosity for so long. That story of frustration has led them to a deep hurt. God, I pray for healing this morning in there. In the deepest parts of their heart and soul, where people have failed them, religion had failed them, church had failed them. God, would you heal that because you do not fail. And you are faithful through all. Would you begin to heal that this morning, Jesus, to restore a right relationship with you and all those people's hearts, God. We just thank you for your gospel and the good news that you bring us each and every day. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.